Well, again, so glad you guys are with us. We've got plenty of power here. <laughs> we are on week number five of a series that we're doing here at Ignite called I Quit. And the series, believe it or not, is not about quitting 2020 or giving up hope or uh, you know anything along those lines. It's, it's a series that we're doing about some of those things, maybe habits, attitudes, patterns, behaviors, things that we regularly do in normal life that whether we know it or not, keep us from experiencing the life God, that God has for us. So often, some of the regular just things, the normal habits and patterns of this world actually uh, actually keep us in bondage. And, and we really believe that God wants to set us free to live a new life with him, to live a life that is infinitely better uh, than, the, than the old one, to kind of help us step into the, the life that you and I have created for us. Well, today I want to talk about everybody's favorite topic. I want to talk about anger, bitterness, divisiveness, quarreling, all that kind of stuff. I'm sure none of us have ever been any of those things, right? Have any of us ever been angry? Anybody ever quarreled? Anybody ever? Yeah, I don't believe any of you. <laughs> but I think, I think as I look at our culture these days, I see a lot of anger. I see a lot of frustration. I see, uh, and, I, and I think really COVID kind of makes it worse in many ways. Start out to say, I mean, how many of us really have lost our temper uh, or seen somebody else lose control of their temper of, of the temper at some time or another? The answer is all of us have. But I was thinking this week about some of the different ways we see that little toddlers. Anybody ever seen a temper temper tantrum from a little toddler? They get down on their on their uh, belly sometimes and they'll hit their arms and they'll kick their legs, right? They'll, they'll kind of throw fit. Sometimes they'll let out a blood curdling sort of scream, and you're like, ah! Because they didn't get their way in one way or another. I have a, a, a niece that when she was little, she was a little bit more cognitive. She didn't understand how this whole thing worked. So she got down on her stomach one time when she didn't get her way or whatever. And she started kind of like hitting, like just deliberately hitting the floor. And she kind of looked up to be like, am I doing it right? <laughs> you kind of thing. And like, you'd kick and be like, ah. You know, kind of, sometimes we don't get it all, all put together. But if you were to observe Toddlers throwing a temper tantrum, you think they've lost their minds. Like, what is going on? But I, I have to say, I mean, I, I think all of us do stupid things when, when we give full vent to our anger. Go, grow up a little bit later, and you get the teenage years, or maybe even adolescence. I had a friend in high school that literally broke his hand because he got mad in gym class and thought it would be a good idea to punch as hard as he could the weight machine, like the like the steel plates or whatever. Like, you know what I'm talking about? He thought, Bam! Shattered his hand. He was a sports guy out for the rest of the season. Sometimes we do stupid things when anger and frustration get the better of us, don't we? Or, uh, I mean, there's been so many times, but I mean, it's, it's not hard to go into to Walmart or the grocery store or something and see a mom that is about at her wit's end, right? These kids are driving her crazy, and everyone's going to just see somebody will just snap. And they'll just be like, what? You know, they're, they're, sometimes, sometimes it's a full-on explosion that happens right in the middle of aisle three or whatever. Right? <laughs> or sometimes it's just you'll see a mom or a dad or whatever going by, you just muttering under the breath, <laughs> like as they're going to get the crackers or what? Like I mean, like this guy. But we do all kinds of things because of anger. And I have to say, probably the scariest uh, one of all is to see an adult man. Uh, who loses his temper? Anybody ever caught a glimpse of that rarity? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's. Who knows what could happen, right? I mean, things could be thrown. 
uh, holes could be made in walls, right? I mean, like, uh, sometimes you, you might get a glimpse of somebody, like, beating the crap out of their lawnmower or something, just wailing on that thing, kicking it, whatever. Who knows? All kinds of things. Because I've seen, I've seen people walk in and quit their jobs because of anger, right? I've seen people do stupid things that blow up their marriages and or walk out because of anger, because they get angry. Their anger gets away from them, and it does so much damage in our lives. There's this quote I, I think about a fair amount with this kind of thing. Um, Alexander, from Alexander the Great, he was a warrior king, uh, like third century BC, I think. And, uh, and he ended up getting angry at one point and killed his favorite general. Ended up being, he was his best friend. He ended up killing him in a fit of rage. And then he, he cried out, he was lamenting afterwards, I've conquered the world, but I can't conquer my own soul. When it comes to the topic of anger, I wonder how many of us can identify with that. Like, we know, we know that we don't want to be controlled by that kind of anger or conflict or whatever, and yet so often what we do is different from that. We lose control. I wonder how many of us have ever been impacted or have felt like that. For, for many of us, we might have to reach way back in our memories to like what earlier today or like yesterday or something to remember a time when we felt angry or when we were super frustrated or when we said something or did something because of it that maybe took a toll that maybe we wish we could reach out and pull back but we just can't i read some research about this week some stats for you it says the average man loses his temper six times a week and these are like pretty major losing your temper six times a week the average woman loses her temper an average of three times a week. Does that surprise anyone here? It doesn't really surprise me. <laughs> I'm like, I, I think that's, that rings true. Women tend to get uh, more angry towards people, uh, whereas men often get mad at things, right? Maybe situations, things not going their way, machines, cars, lawnmowers, uh, some of those kinds of things. Single adults, I thought this is interesting, single adults tend to express anger twice as often as married adults. I was kind of surprised by that. Men are more physical, no surprise there, with their anger than women. And you're more likely to express anger at home than anywhere else. And that's true, but isn't that sad? I mean, with the people that we love most is where we feel most free to, to sort of give full vent to our anger. The stats tell the truth about anger in our lives. We have all acted foolishly at one time or another. All of us at some point have let our anger get out of hand. It's gotten the better of us. And in, in this season, I bet these stats are low, right? With COVID and everything else going on in our world, I bet that the, the uh, average number of times of anger in a week is just going up and up and up. There's such an angry, such a divided society these days. We call people out and we judge them, sometimes even publicly or on social media. And we, sometimes we call them out and call them to a standard that we ourselves can't even live up to. We're critical of others on social media. The latest piece of news sets us off and we'll rant and rage and condemn and we'll point fingers. We see it politically. We see it with COVID and mask wearing or not mask wearing and all the stuff that goes with go to school or not go to school. We can see it in all kinds of stuff. We see it in the church too. Don't we? we can see it almost everywhere in our culture. Anger is sort of run amok in our lives and in our culture, and it takes such a toll on our, on our own hearts and our own relationships, both with God and with one another. And so today I want us to look at a passage from uh, Ephesians chapter 4 that deals with this exactly. It deals with taming destructive anger 
in our lives. Let me give you a little set up, a little context here for uh, Ephesians chapter 4, because I think the context is fantastic and helps us uh, understand kind of what's going on a little bit. But Ephesians is written by anybody? Apostle Paul, right? It's written to the church in Ephesus, right? It's, yeah, it's the name, Ephesians. And apparently uh, there was some anger, there was some division, there was some bitterness that had sort of developed in their community and in their culture. Does that sound familiar? Right? Absolutely. And so Paul spends quite a bit of the time in the book of Ephesians talking about this kind of thing, talking about the divisiveness, talking about some of the anger and how to handle it, talking about the relationships and how to deal with some of the stuff in there. He starts out reminding the church, reminding them of their new relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He reminds the church and says, you know, this is who we are. You and I, we are forgiven people. That is probably the one thing that defines us more than anything else. We are forgiven by Christ, right? And that's what makes us Christ followers. And that is kind of the defining hallmark of how our relationships are meant to be with one another. We are a forgiven People, God has graciously forgiven us. He has treated us better than we deserve. And then God in turn turns towards his people, towards the church, towards you and me, and says, because you have been forgiven and because you have been loved with an undying love, because I've shown you the full extent of that love, you need to treat one another in the same way. And so beginning in Ephesians chapter 4, he starts painting a picture of what it really looks like to live our lives in relationship with one another, how to, how to live out our identity as forgiven people together. And he says, you know, you're going to have some hard things. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be sparks. There's going to be rubbing up. But here's how you are to deal with that conflict. Here's how you are to deal with that anger and frustration and everything else. And he gets real specific. And there's some great stuff here. And so uh, uh, I, wanna, I want you to, we're going to start out uh, Ephesians 4, starting with verse 3. And, and then we'll jump ahead to the end here in a second. But this is the this is the beginning. This is what God says. He says, "Make every effort, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there's one body, there is one Spirit. Just as you were called, there's one hope when you were called. There's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism. There's one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all." Let me just kind of, I'm going to camp out there because I think this sets up the passage we're going to look at a little later. But he starts out saying, make every effort. I want you to, actually, I want you to say that with me. What you say is, he says, make every effort. Make every effort to do what? To live how? In unity, right? He says, I want you to make every effort. Do everything you can possibly do to live at peace and in unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ, with those around you. I want you to live your life that way. He says, why? He says, because we're, because you're one. Because and, and, and we live in a culture that likes to, to focus on the differences, the distinctives, the ways that we're different. Yeah, but you're black and I'm white and you're brown. And you're Republican and you're Democrat and you're socialist and you're not. Or you're white collar and you're blue collar. Or you're no collar at all. Who, who likes collars anyway? Right? We, we like to focus on all the differences. And God says, our, God says through the Apostle Paul, he says, you're missing it. Make every effort to live in unity with one another. Why? Because Christ came, Christ died to some degree to make us one we are all his kids we are all sinners saved by grace and he goes through and he says man there is 
one Savior, right? There's one God. There's one faith. There's one baptism. There's, there's only one God. There's one Savior. You have more in common in Christ of all the important stuff than all the little piddly differences that you can try and focus on. Why don't you focus there? Why don't you focus on the way that Christ has forgiven you, the way that Christ has loved you, the way Christ has brought you together? Even though you had, even though you and I had turned away from him and gone our own way, he pursued you and brought you back. He reconciled you or restored you back into his family. And he says, church, live that way. Make every effort. Make, do everything you can possibly do to live in unity and at peace with one another. Man, isn't that good? That's powerful. Man, there, there's a guy by the name of Aaron Beck who's done a, a ton of research on relationships, especially marriage and, and that kind of stuff. But he talks about so the ways that we can live our lives. He says, man, so often we do damage in one of two uh, primary ways. And he's talking relationally. He's like, either we take big exits, he says, or we can take little exits. Both of them are destructive in our lives. Big exits, he says, are like dramatic, very visible, uh, you know, kind of often permanent ways to leave a relationship. Divorce is probably the, the one that comes up most often, right? It's a way that we say, I'm quitting. Some, sometimes we can quit a job, right? That's a, that's a definitive end to a relationship. We can leave a church, right? Those are examples of big exits where we kind of just, we just kind of go off in a huff. We cut it off and we move on. Uh, I mean, you know, joining the FBI witness protection program, right? kind of leaving everything behind, starting over. That's probably a big exit, right? Those those kinds of things. But he says, you know what? Here's the thing: we can all do, we can all take little exits too. And we do this all the time. These are much more subtle, quiet, sort of underground, barely noticeable ways. But it's ways that you and I move away from unity with one another. Things like holding a grudge, things like the silent treatment, nitpicking or grumbling, eye rolling, sign. Right? I mean, all that kind of stuff. Maybe playing on your phone when somebody is trying to share something with you. There's tons of those kinds of things. Gossiping to others about a relationship instead of dealing with them directly. Those are all little exits, and they do damage. The result is that you will find yourself feeling a little bit more distant, a little bit more separate, a little bit more disengaged in relationship with the other person. All day long, Beck says, in dozens of ways, uh, by the words that we speak, by our tone of voice, by our body language, by our activities, we are constantly either building oneness or eroding it, whether in big ways or small ways. We're building unity or we're eroding it. It's always going to be one or the other. Either we're building up one another. I mean, it's, it's crazy because while he's talking about relationships and marriages and romantic kind of stuff, the same, it could, it's exactly true with the church too, isn't it? In, in every conversation, in every interaction that we have, we're either building trust and unity and moving towards one another, or we're moving away from each other. Maybe not in big dramatic kind of ways, but in ways that we're like, you know, we can go and we can talk about people, or we can go and, you know, whatever. Be, just not be okay, not building unity with one another. We can either be eroding oneness and nitpicking and choosing little exits, or we can be fostering intimacy and unity with one another. And my hunch is that for a lot of us, myself included, I think there are times that we are taking little exits and we're, we're doing some of those kinds of things that are eroding trust and we don't even know it. We're not even aware 
that it's happening, but we are working in a way, instead of doing everything we can possibly do to protect and live in unity, in oneness with one another, we're taking exits. But I want you to imagine with me for a second, what if there is a better way? What if, rather than taking big dramatic exits, like I quit or I'm leaving, rather than taking even little exits, eye-rolling and gossiping and talking down on somebody, what if we learned to stay? What if we learned to work through anger and conflict in a way that didn't destroy trust, that didn't erode oneness, that didn't involve a winner and a loser? That's what God is, is getting at and is saying through Paul here. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. He's talking about in the church, in your relationships with one another through the bond of peace. A little more context and then I'll get, get to where we're going here. But he goes on then to kind of talk about diversity is by design. Because the very next step after he talks about make every effort to live in unity. Then he goes through and he's, he's kind of like, you know, I know what you're going to say. Yeah, but those people are so different from me. They're bad. I don't like their outlook. I don't like, their, I don't like the way they dress. I don't like the way they smell or look or do or what they do. And he, he ends up talking about saying, you don't understand. Diversity is by design. I, and he talks about in the body of Christ, he says, you know, I've given different gifts and talents and abilities. I've even given different personalities, right, to different people because there's something about that, something in there that, that is more a beautiful and more perfect reflection of who God is. He says it's part of the body of Christ. Diversity is by design. You don't have to be like everybody else. As long as you're under one Lord and one faith and one baptism, right? you've got that in common. But of course, there's going to be differences in all of us. He says that is by design. Don't let that hang you up. Instead, you know, make sure that you are making every effort to live in unity with people that are different from you, but still submitted to Christ. And then he reminds us uh, and, and, and kind of spends this next section saying, you know what? Uh, the place that unity really comes from is as you and I, different at all, as you and I learn to live out our new identity in Christ. He says, you know, at one time, you lived in your old identity, and it was all about me, 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 right? You're living out your selfish identity. He says, but now you have been made new in Christ. Now you have this new identity. You are a forgiven people. You are loved by God, right? You are, you are, he is, he is the Lord. He is leading and guiding. He is your savior, your king, your friend. He is inside of you and with you always. Now let's talk about how that gets lived out, how to live in, 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 in a way. What does it look like practically to make every effort to live in unity and at peace with one another? And this is what he says. Enough talking. This is our passage for today. So Ephesians 4.25, listen to this. He says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those that are in need. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And did not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of, which by the way, get rid of, I quit, right? He's saying quit all the bitterness and rage and 
anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Give that stuff up and instead be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Isn't that good? It's like seven verses. It is packed with stuff. I'm going to look, uh, kind of summarize into six different things. And I just, I would just encourage you, just kind of crack the door of your heart during this and just say, God, what do you have to say to me in my relational world? The stuff that's going on in my sphere with, with my kids or with my spouse or with my friends or with my roommates or with the church or with whoever, right? Just kind of crack the door of your heart and just say, God, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? How are you speaking to me through your work right now? Because I, I guarantee you, he's got stuff in store for me. And for me in the midst of this. Take a look at this. First thing I just want to hit is the uh, first thing he kind of talks about is speak the truth in love. You know, go to that next slide. Speak the truth in love. It's it's uh, it's part of what he's saying. This is this is what it looks like to live this out, right? The whole make every effort to live in unity. He says, what, what does that look like? It says, speak the truth in love. God paints a picture of how to live in right relationship, and he starts with a speak truth in love. Ephesians 4, 25, he starts out saying, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor for all members of one body. And I'm going to jump ahead to 29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. A couple parts of that. The first one is, is that, I don't know, we're, a lot of us, I don't think, like confrontation. Is that fair? I mean, are there quite a few of us who are like, you know, but if I could choose, I would rather not be a part of confrontation. I'd rather not do conflict. I think most of us would probably fall into that category. And so it's easy for us to just sort of avoid that. Like stuff comes up or we feel hurt or maybe we've done damage to others. There's weirdness in relationship, but rather than dealing with it, we go and hide, right? We bury it underground, maybe. We pretend like, yeah, oh, we're fine, right? There's the, we put on the happy face when we see him at church or when we see him at school or we see him wherever. We're like, oh, no, no, we're fine. We're fine. But really, you know, like there's stuff that's going on. You're not fine. And rather than dealing with it, rather than going to it, we sort of lie. That's kind of what, what he's getting at here. Put, he said, no, each of you, take off falsehood. Quit falsehood, he's saying. And speak truth, speak truth in love. But don't speak truth in a way that's going to just trash them, right? And tear them down. And don't, don't come accusing, don't come whatever. He says, no. Instead, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Isn't that different? So often we do damage and we, I mean, it's the opposite of doing everything you could possibly do to live in unity and peace with others. So often we do damage because we don't want to, we don't want to have to, be involved in the confrontation, and in some ways, that's a little exit, right? It's a way that we make distance. It's, it's a way that we build disunity. It's a way that anger and frustration starts building up in our own hearts. Dr. Gary Oliver writes this. He says, the process of growing in an intimate relationship always involves conflict. Since many of us avoid conflict like the plague, we don't grow. We don't change. We don't get closer. We don't experience intimacy. Instead, we stay stuck in mediocrity. And isn't that true? The Bible says that iron sharpens iron, or it can, right? And that we can sharpen one another. We can help one another grow up in Christ. We can, even in, in being close to, we can sharpen one another uh, so that our own hearts get transformed. But the thing about iron sharpening iron is that it can, sword sharpening swords, is it can be used to sharpen each other. It can also be used to pierce one another, right? That we can also do tremendous damage. Uh, in one another. 
And that's kind of like what anger and conflict are like. We, it, it can be used to either sharpen us and make us more like Christ, or we can use it to wound one another. If we learn to handle conflict correctly, we can listen. We can keep destructive anger at bay. We can guard our tongues and work through issues and build unity and intimacy. We can make marriages better. We can make friendships better. It can be incredibly fruitful. That's why God says speak truthfully to one another. Don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what's helpful for building others up. I read that that week this week and I thought, holy crap, like that's think about that. Only, only speak what is helpful for building others up. Is that challenging to anybody? <laughs> I'm like, gulp? Like really? Only. Only let come out of your mouth what is helpful for building others up. Oh man, what a difference that would make in our marriages. What a difference that would make in our lives. If I can make a generalization again. I don't know, like, but I'm, I'm going to use social media. I'm going to pick on that again. Again, I'm on social media. There's great parts about it. I'm not picking on that, but I think you can see relationships. You can see people's interactions and stuff very publicly there. But I just think, man, how often on Facebook, only what's helpful for building others up? I think that hardly ever happens. Usually, like, we get angry and we just we want to be heard. We want to give full vent. We want to. We want impact. We want to whatever. It's it couldn't be more different than. That man, let me listen and hear what's going on with you, and how can I help? How can I help build you up? How can I help build unity? How can I? You see what I'm saying? It's so foreign to us, but God says, man, this is where the good stuff is. At. You want to? You want to live in healthy relationships? Man, learn to speak the truth. Yes, speak the truth, but do it in love for their good. For their benefit, what would be helpful to build them up? What would build oneness? What would build intimacy? What would build trust? What would build relationships? What if we could learn to live our lives like that? How different would that be? Where we could be sharpened, where we could build trust, where we could move forward. How are you doing on this one? It's challenging, isn't it? How are you doing? Speaking the truth in love. It needs to be a foundation for relationships, especially in the church. How about you going? Second thing that he talks about here is, is uh, deal with anger quickly. Oh, man. Ephesians 4.26, he says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Can I just lean into this for a second? Listen to that last line. Do not give the devil a foothold. If we, if you and I are unwilling, if we take either a big exit or a little exit, we're unwilling to speak truth in love. We're unwilling to engage with people. Instead, we're just reacting with anger. He's saying it's like giving the devil permission to set up camp in your life. Can you hear that? Like that's a, I read that. It's shocking to me. It's sort of jaw-dropping of saying, well, I don't want, I mean, I don't want that, right? I don't want the enemy to have free reign in any part of my life. And he says, you know what? If we refuse to deal with anger quickly, directly, in a healthy fashion, if we are unwilling to come and speak the truth and love to one another, then that's what it does. He says, you will give the devil a foothold. It means, really, you're giving him power. You're giving him control. You're giving him sort of a place to have a base camp, a base of operations in your life, and you will yield the fruit of that. And, and friends, he did not want to, I don't want to do that. Don't, don't you think 2020 has enough of 
stupid Satan's work in our world? <laughs> Can't we just agree and say, man, I want to say, I quit to that. I don't, want it. I don't want his work in my life. I don't want him to have set up camp there. And so, he said, so God says, be real careful. Be real careful in, with anger and frustration and bitterness to start building up in your heart. Be real careful if, instead of dealing with it directly, if, if you refuse to do so, if you let the sun go down your anger, I'll get to that in a second, again and again and again, and we start fostering in our hearts, all of a sudden, it does bad things in our own hearts and souls. And the enemy can use it to help us, make us feel distant from God, make us wreak havoc in our relationships with one another, take the best things in our life and kind of ruin them. Right? We can get in there and cause all kinds of havoc. Okay. I got too far ahead of myself, but let me just, I'll just kind of go back and say, uh, I'll start here. In your anger, he says, do not sin. Interesting, right? Another translation says, be angry, but sin not. Because anger itself is not necessarily sinful, right? It, God is angry over sin. We read in the Old Testament. You can, you can see places in the New Testament where Jesus was angry. He was angry with religious leaders that were keeping people that desperately needed Jesus from finding him. And he was ticked. He was ticked at money changers in the temple, a place that was supposed to be about worship and prayer and connecting with the Lord. And, and there, it, this had become sort of a focal point where people were trying to make a buck and that kind of thing. And Jesus was like, oh, heck no, right? We're not having any. Flipped them over. And kind of drove them out and said, this is not what this is about. So, anger is not necessarily bad. But I have to say, in our sin-stained world, so often giving full vent to our anger and just letting people have it. So we so quickly move from anger to sin like that. And so God says, be real careful. Sure, sure, you can be angry. Sometimes that's justified. But be careful that you don't react to that, that, you don't, that it doesn't lead you down the path to sin. And then, he, and then he gives us, he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And there's all kinds of conversations. Well, is this literal or is this figurative and all this kind of stuff? I don't think it matters. Uh, I would take it literally. Why not? Like, I, I think what the point he's saying is uh, as soon as you possibly can, if there is disunity between you and somebody else, if there is conflict, if there is something going on between you and them, he says, Go to them and get it figured out. Don't let it fester. Don't let it get bigger and bigger and bigger because all of a sudden that gives the devil a foothold to deal with it quickly, directly go to them. And let me give you an example. I mean, they've done all kinds of research on anger and conflict and all this kind of stuff. And they've got different stages or different levels. And like the first level or two, when there's conflict in a relationship, it's about the thing, right? Like, you said something or did something that hurt me, or I did something or said something that hurt you. It's about an instance, right? And, and that's fairly easy. If there's humility involved, that's pretty easy to work out, right? I can go to, to, to Ryan and say, man, I, uh, I sinned against you. I, I snapped at you. I bit your head off or whatever. I said this to you, and I could tell it hurt you. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And Ryan said, yeah, forgive me. We can be restored. Or he can even come to me and say, you know, I'm, I'm sure you didn't mean it this way, but... But when you said this, it really kind of hurt my feelings. And I could be like, again, if humility is involved, I could be like, man, I'm, I'm an idiot sometimes. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, I didn't, I didn't mean it that way. But, man, I can totally see how it came off that way. And sometimes I just, ah, would you forgive me? And it's, yeah. Right? I mean, it's like, right? I mean, we can kind of we can kind of do that. It's pretty easy. If it's left, if the sun goes down on our anger for days and weeks 
and months, sometimes years, sometimes decades or longer, all of a sudden, the, these, this thing evolved. It's no longer about that issue, is it? It's about, no, Ryan is evil. Right? He's bad, and he does these things all the time, and it's on purpose. And, I'll, and I'm not going to talk to him about it. I'll go and talk to some other people and say, you should stay away because he's bad news. He's going to, it's, it's going to, you should, right? I mean, we kind of start doing this kind of thing. It becomes this huge thing. It's an issue of disunity, not just here anymore, but with spouses and with friends and with, all right, it becomes this huge thing. And all of a sudden, it's, it's almost impossible to come back where there's reconciliation, where there's restoration. And God says, don't go that path. He says, do everything you can possibly do to pursue unity. If you're angry, if you're hurt, if there's a reason, if there's something between you and somebody else, go to them before the sun sets, if possible. Tina and I have actually practiced this uh, most of our married life. We started, we got, got a, some advice. Somebody said, actually do this literally in your marriage. Don't go to bed angry until you're resolved, until you're restored. And we've tried to pretty much practice that for 23 years and almost. And uh, I have to say, it's been great. Now, sometimes it's been because we're stubborn. <laughs> Tina, mostly. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't tell her. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, but I mean, like, we're stubborn. I'm especially stubborn. And so sometimes that's meant, like, we've got the lights on and we're like... You know, you're breathing and you're doing the thing and you're like, whatever. But but at some point, I'll be like, man, I'm tired. I need to humble myself. What is going on? But, like, there's something good about it. And usually I just start where I can. I'll, I'll, sometimes I'll just pray and, and whatever else. Like, you just be like, God, what, what's my part? I mean, what do I need to own? And I, you start out with what you can own authentically, right? And just be like, okay, would, would you forgive me for this? Now, it might not be the whole thing yet because I might not be ready. But it might be, here's something I said. It was totally out of bounds. Will you forgive me? And it takes it takes all the the, uh, the intensity out of the air, right? <laughs> all of a sudden, just, you can feel the climate change when that happens. And then uh, she might say, "Or maybe I'll, I'll say something else." And be like, you know what? And, and this was out of balance. And she's like, "Go ahead. I'm sorry for." This. All of a sudden, we can be restored and go to bed with in peace and in unity. And it's a way that. If we can put those things into practice, in marriage certainly, but in relationships, in friendships, in the church, if we can put that into practice, you know what it does? It builds trust, it builds safety, it builds real community, not just the fake exterior, but where we can screw up because we are sinful people that screw up all the time. And there can be grace and there can be forgiveness and there can be all kinds of good stuff. And I have talked way too long about this, so I'm going to keep going. But I just, again, such a powerful verse. Don't give devil of football. Can we just say, man, if you don't get anything else out of this message, what if we could just make a commitment saying, no, no, I'm not giving the devil a foothold. I'm not stinking walking that road. I'm going to, I'm stubborn and I'm strong and I'll mess up and whatever else. But as much as, as much as it depends on me, I'm going to go and try and pursue unity. When I screw up, I'm going to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to try and do that before the sun goes down. Try and go and hit, let my head hit the pillow every night or as, as close to that as I can uh, in peace and in, in unity with one another. Wouldn't that be amazing? That would have huge ramifications in our lives. Okay, third one. This one was just interesting. I'll just do a quick rapid fire on this one. Be generous with each other. Verse 28 kind of caught me off guard a little bit. Anybody who has been stealing must steal no longer. I'll get to that in a second but must work doing something useful with their own hands so that they may have something to share 
with those in need. Interesting. I mean, anybody who's been stealing, anybody who's been taking advantage of others, living off of somebody else, maybe unjustly, God says, quit it. <laughs> he says, quit it. And instead, get a job or make some money so that, so that you can do something useful. Why? So that you can share with others. Generosity is the motivation. One of the keys towards stepping into healthy, God-honoring relationships is by being learning to be generous with one another, generous towards others, especially those that are in need, looking for ways to serve them, to give to them, to help them. Generosity and loving others are always linked, right? There's a link towards that. I wonder where God might be prompting you or me to be generous these days, maybe especially towards somebody that's different from you, especially somebody that's maybe harder for you to love. What are ways that that God would allow you and, and show you that you could be generous towards them in a way that helps build unity and love and community where uh, things are the way God wants them to be, right? That's the good stuff. I'll, I'll keep going. Number four, stay connected to God through his spirit, right? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, it says right in the middle, uh, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Again, this one's interesting, too. If you and I want to live in unity, if we want to, to have experience peace-filled relationships, it starts with a peace-filled relationship with God. It starts with keeping in step with him. He said, the, the Bible's warning is, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Well, what grieves the Holy Spirit of God? It says we turn away. Maybe we say, I don't need you, right? Maybe it's just doing it on our own. Maybe it's blatantly saying, hey, what you're asking, I'm turning away from and going my own way. So don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. There is no such thing as oneness, no such thing as unity apart from the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He's the one that drives it. He's the one that empowers it. Even in order for us to go back to that anger thing, in order for us to handle anger in a God-honoring way, takes God-ordained power in us, doesn't it? I mean, to be able to have humility is a God thing. To be able to, to, to humble ourselves and step out of conflict and towards somebody else, that's a God thing. We need the power of His Spirit. Of course, relationship with God begins with a, a relationship with Jesus, with accepting uh, His grace and His forgiveness and purchase for us on the cross. And part of that is that then he takes his spirit and he puts his spirit and his power inside of us. And that is now available to us. And we, as we walk with him, we find victory in all kinds of areas and freedom and healing and the good stuff. I ran across this. Um, I'm just going to share. I love it. Uh, from It's an article written uh, in the Times of London a number of years ago, written by an atheist by the name of Matthew Paris. And, uh, yeah, oops, he kind of cut it off a little bit, but you can read it anyway. He says this, as an atheist, I truly believe that Africa needs God. Let me just stop and just say he lived in Africa for many years. Uh, even though he was an avowed atheist, he came to the conclusion that the only hope for reconciled and restored relationships in a war-torn part of the world is Jesus. Listen to this. He said, I have come to the conclusion that staggers me. The impact of the missionaries with their message of Jesus Christ in its redemptive foundation seems to be the only thing that has effectively worked to change the hearts of people and to transform their hostility towards one another to love. In Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts. It brings spiritual transformation. The rebirth is real. The change, he says, is good. Isn't that great? 
an article written by an atheist as he watched relationships, right? And what happened when God people, God's people started living out in community and God kind of always says, you know, you know what happens? There's healing. There's unity. There's restoration and reconciliation in ways that he can't understand except to sit back and say, I don't know why. He's even saying, I don't even believe in it necessarily, but Jesus is the answer. Well, that's up perfectly with what Jesus says, right? Where he says, they'll know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Remember that? If you love one another. This is how it works. But it's, but this is the, the foundation, really, right? This, the way, in order for us to live in reconciled and restored kinds of ways with one another, we, it starts out with being reconciled and restored and living in the grace of God and the power of the Spirit ourselves. One more quick thought on that. So often I think uh, some of the, the frustration and the anger that we end up having towards one another actually has nothing to do with what you're doing. They have very little to do with you. It has more to do with the fact that in my own soul or my own heart, there is emptiness. There's That I've got a, a depleted part of my soul because I haven't really been keeping in step with the Spirit. I haven't been drinking in from the Lord. I haven't been in His Word. I haven't been connecting with Him in prayer. And sometimes I try to take that emptiness or that frustration that I have that God isn't doing what I wanted to do or that I am aching in my soul or whatever, and I try to put that on you. It's not fair. It's not healthy. It's not good, right? But it's true. All of us do this at some points, and that's why God says, man, don't grieve the Spirit. Don't leave the Spirit in us. Make sure you're walking in the fullness and keeping in step with the Spirit of God because that's where the good stuff is going to come from. All right, better keep going. Fifth, uh, this is just be gracious towards one another. He says be kind and compassionate. The word compassionate literally means gracious. Be gracious to one another. In all honesty, being gracious to one another is something we don't really do as Americans, right? And, that, and I'm not going back on what I said earlier. If you have genuine conflict, if your heart is not like okay with somebody else, go do them. Go right now, right? Go immediately and do that kind of thing. But but how? First Corinthians 13 talks about that, that love is something where we can believe the best about one another. It's being gracious, right? Being, being gracious towards one another. Kind and compassionate to one another. Uh, Proverbs 19 uh, says this a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. I mean, sometimes, in fact, a lot of times, as we start building and living in the kind of relationships we're talking about, as we start keeping short accounts, and if, if I'm upset with you, we go to one another, we speak truth and love, we restore, we heal, we, there's forgiveness, all this kind of stuff. If we do that again and again and again, trust gets built, rebuilt in our lives. And in our relationships, and the higher trust gets, the more we can say, you know, I know Mark's heart, I know Chris's heart, I know they weren't trying to hurt me, and or, or whatever, right? And you can kind of say, it so, so that then you can just forgive and move on, and be like, no, I know that's not what they meant. Instead of wearing our heart on our sleeve or whatever all the time, always being wounded. And sometimes, as community forms, we can learn to trust, and we can learn to forgive, and just be gracious towards one another. Oh man, how much do we need that? In our culture and in our world today, just a gracious spirit, a forgiving and understanding spirit. Thanks to the sixth one, which is forgive freely. And uh, we talk about this one all the time, so I won't spend much time. But just be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. He 
he says, in the same way God says that I have forgiven you, which is wholeheartedly, sacrificially, with love, again and again and again and again. He says, in the same way that I have forgiven you, would you, church, learn to forgive one another? Would you learn to live in grace and extend forgiveness both ways, outward and inward, receive it as well, right? Both ways. Can you learn to live in that? Forgive as I have forgiven you freely, graciously, with love, over and over again. Man, let me go back to where we started just at the beginning, where God says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I wonder how God might be speaking to you today. I wonder if, if, if there's some of these that, I mean, some of us are uh, maybe have instances that come to mind right away where we where there is conflict and there's anger and there's stuff going on between us and somebody else. And maybe the Lord today is just, is just nudging you and saying, man, if you don't let the sun go down on your anger, would you go, go to them humbly? Would you go to them and to, would you seek restoration, reconciliation, unity, right, in relationship once again? For some of us, maybe there's something that's coming up and it's been, we've been kind of playing it over and over like a tape's in our heads, right? Again and again and again and again. And, and we've got enough in the bank. Maybe God's just saying, would you be gracious with that? Would, could you let that go? If it's still bugging you after that, after you pray about it, after you lay it down, then go to them. But maybe it's something you could just say, you know what, I, I forgive. I, I, I'm, I'm going to move on. Maybe there's an instance where you've been unwilling to speak truth, even in love or in any other way. You've been taking little exits because you're like, I don't want to have to deal with that kind of stuff. But you can see that there's a toll that's being, a, a, a distance that's being created in the relationship. And maybe today God's saying, would you move toward them? Would you speak truth in love? Would you come home? Would you come try to? Maybe some of us actually, our, our relational worlds are in a wreck right now. Maybe, and maybe there's just a weight and a heaviness on Maybe you just need to be reminded that God specializes, first of all, in forgiving, in restoring, and making us new. He will come. He comes and lives inside of us and empowers us. Right? That, that just because our past may be uh, peppered with all kinds of broken relationships, that does not have to be the story of your present or your future. Maybe it's time to turn over some new leaves. Maybe you just need to cry out to God, Holy Spirit, I need you, right? I don't want to do, I need to stay and step with you. I can't do this on my own. Would you strengthen, empower me? I'll do what you're asking me to do. I don't know what God is asking you uh, to do this morning, but my heart and my prayer, my desire, even the prep of this message I've been praying for you all week and for me all week, is that we would be people that would live in these kinds of characterized by God's grace and his love, one in which the world wakes up and looks and says, that must be Jesus, because I, I can't explain it any other way. Let's close in prayer. Father, we just, uh, we cry out this morning, we just need you so much. Lord, forgive us for ways that we have uh, worked in ways that destroy unity, that, that uh, have taken us further and further from uh, relationships, oftentimes the relationships that are most important in our lives. Lord, would you forgive us and cleanse us? Would you empower us and teach us to live our lives and to live in our relationships, to deal with anger in ways that are, are healthy, in ways that bring you honor and glory? And even today, uh, we just want to lift up um, just 
just relationships maybe that you're bringing to mind right now, relationships that uh, are in, in which we're estranged, in which, in which we've said things that we wish we could get back, damage that has been done. Holy Spirit, would you come and empower us? Would you come and give us wisdom? Would you come and restore and heal? Would you teach us to live our lives in a way that will make every effort to live in unity and peace with one another? And as we do so, God, may we be glorified. May your kingdom come and your will be done in us. We pray in Jesus' name.